turn with me this evening to the letter of James. The letter of James, chapter 1. And we'll read verses 12 to 18. James chapter 1, reading from verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast or perseveres under temptation. For when he has stood the temptation, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so on. And so we're continuing our study in the letter of James. And as we said before, we're to view the letter of James as a handbook to Christian living. Because James's greatest concern is not for information, but for application. He wants us to be able to apply the gospel in our lives and live out our Christianity in a practical way. But as we saw last time when we were looking at uh, verses 1 to 11, James reminded these persecuted Christians to whom he was writing uh, that living out your faith in a fallen world is not an easy task. Especially because they were new converts to Christianity And they had been displaced and they had been dispersed outside the land of Palestine. And they were living in this foreign land amongst people who worshipped foreign gods. And there were temptations all around them to deviate from their newfound faith at every turn. And because these young Christians were living in a Gentile country and facing a hostile environment... Uh, Their lack of discipleship and teaching, it only highlighted many of the issues that they had. Uh, Because there were many issues of worldliness, temptation, gossip, pride and jealousy. But the root cause cause of it all, as we said before, it all came down to immaturity. Immaturity was the root cause. They needed to grow as Christians. They needed to mature in their faith. And as we saw last time, James stressed that uh, the way in which the Lord brings us on in our faith and enables us to grow and develop and mature is through trials. God brings trials into our experience. Because the first thing James says about the faith of the Christian is that it's a faith that will be tried. It will be tested. If our faith is genuine, then our faith will be tested. But when it comes to the trials of our faith, James reminds us that the Lord has a plan and a purpose. He always has a plan and he always has a purpose. And that's what he says 
in verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So James doesn't want us to fear trials, to fear them to the point that we can't fulfill our duty as Christians. Instead, what James wants to encourage us with is that the Lord has a purpose in all our trials. That whatever trials they may be and however perplexing they become, the Lord has a purpose in it all. And his purpose is to make us mature Christians who will have an impact upon a fallen world. But now as we closely related to trials, James now moves on to the subject of temptation and James wants us he wants to teach us how to deal with temptation and he says it's not if temptation comes but of course it's when it comes and the first thing I'd like us to see in verse 12 is the relationship of blessing and temptation blessing and temptation we just look at verse 12 He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test or temptation, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And so what we see here is that as James continues to encourage and to challenge the Christian, he first of all highlights the blessing of temptation. That when a Christian endures temptation, They will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And we'll come back to to what that means in a moment. But what ought to strike our attention immediately when we read this is that James describes temptation as a blessing. And he describes the Christian who endures temptation as someone who is blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under temptation. Now I don't think that any of us would consider temptation as a blessing. Neither would we consider ourselves to be blessed for persevering through temptation. Because those times of persevering through temptation, they seem, in my experience, seem to be so few and far between in comparison to the amount of times you succumb to temptation. In fact, I don't think that we would ever put the words blessed and and temptation in the same sentence. Just like we would never put, as it has in verse 2, the words joy and trials in the same sentence. But James does. He says, count your trials a joy. And if you endure temptation, you are blessed. And these statements, they seem to be uh, counterintuitive. They seem to go against the grain of sense and And reason. Because how can someone consider trials a joy? And how can someone consider temptation a blessing? Well the answer is. uh, By considering what trials and temptation. It's what they produce in us. We saw that before. Trials produce perseverance. Temptation is to produce perseverance. Because the connection which James makes between trials and temptation, it's the need 
for perseverance. He says that the trial of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have this maturing effect that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And with regards to temptation, James says, blessed is the man or the woman who perseveres under temptation. And so what's required in both trial and temptation is perseverance. And what James is saying is that the mature Christian, the Christian who is growing and developing and maturing in their faith, is the person who is persevering. And James says that that person is blessed. The person who is persevering is blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But you know, the person who is blessed may not always be a happy person. They may not always have a smile on their face and always be full of the joys. Because that's not what the word blessed means. People often associate blessedness and they associate blessedness with happiness. But blessedness, it's, it's far deeper than the outward presentation of, of happiness. And that's what the psalmist was actually saying in Psalm 1, which we were just singing. Where in his introductory psalm to the Psalter, the psalmist is describing to us the person who has experienced true happiness, true blessedness. But in the mind of the psalmist, there is nothing in this life, nothing in the world around them that can provide true happiness. Because everything in life, he sees, it fades. Everything withers. Everything wastes away. Everything changes. Nothing is permanent. And so the psalmist says that true happiness in this world must come from another world. True happiness, true blessedness, he says, comes from God. And when something comes from God, it's a blessing. You are blessed. You experience blessedness. Which is why the psalmist begins by saying, That man hath perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray. And in fact, James, he, he's using the same words as the psalmist when he says, Blessed is the man. It's exactly the same words as Psalm 1. Now, now this is what we have to understand, that the blessed man or the blessed woman is someone who has received something which they don't deserve. They have received something because undeserved favour has been shown to them. They have been shown grace. They have graciously received something. And that's what the word blessed means. The word bless or blessed, it literally, literally means to kneel. And I'm sure I've mentioned this before. That the word blessed. It gives the illustration of a person. Who is kneeling before a king. It's the image of the king. Standing from his throne. You always see it when the queen is knighting someone. And they're kneeling before the queen. Well the image is the king standing. And the servant is before the king. And he has submitted himself or herself. Under the authority and the sovereignty of the king. And he's, he's kneeling before the king with his head bowed and his hand outstretched. 
and he's receiving something from the gracious hand of the king. And what he's receiving is something that he hasn't earned, he hasn't worked for it, and he doesn't deserve it. And yet the king is graciously giving it to him. He's giving to him what he doesn't deserve. It's all of grace. It's all, the whole act, it's all of grace. And the psalmist in Psalm 1 and James here, they're both saying to us that that's what the blessed man or blessed woman looks like. He or she is the person who has humbly submitted their life, their authority, their will <coughs> under the king, King Jesus. And because of their humility and submission, and their willingness to persevere, they are blessed by King Jesus. They receive from the hand of King Jesus what they don't deserve. They experience grace. But what the psalmist wants to make clear in, in Psalm 1 is that the blessed man or blessed woman doesn't receive that perfect <coughs> blessedness from all the things around them. He wants to make that clear because... You know the psalm well. That man of perfect blessedness who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men nor stands in sinner's way nor sitteth in the scorner's chair but placeth his delight upon God's law and meditates on his law day and night. And what the psalmist says is that the blessed man or woman is not like the cursed man or woman because he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the path of sinners. And he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And it's interesting. Uh, Psalm 1. It's an interesting Psalm. He uses three verbs. Walk. Stand. And sit. Walk. Stand. And sit. And they give this idea of becoming more and more comfortable in their sin. They're walking, they're standing, they're sitting. But it's all in contrast to the blessed man or blessed woman. They don't become comfortable in their sin. They don't like being comfortable in their sin. And the reason they don't become comfortable in their sin, the psalmist says, is because they meditate upon God's law both day and night. That's what causes them to become uncomfortable. <coughs> and instead of walking according to the advice and the guidance from uh, the ever-changing fads and fashions of the world, we're being told that the Christian perseveres by walking according to the teaching of God's word. Instead of standing in the path of sinners, a path which only leads to temporary happiness and entertainment. He says, the Christian perseveres by standing upon the truth of God's word. And instead of sitting in the seat of the scoffer, who is proud and self-satisfied by all their own achievements, he says, the Christian perseveres by sitting and meditating upon the grace which God has demonstrated towards him or her in the person of Jesus Christ. Because his or her delight, he says, is in the word of God. And they meditate upon it both day and night. And this is what James is referring to. That the blessed man or woman, they will persevere through 
trial or temptation because they read in God's word about all the promises that are held out to them. Blessed is the man who remains or who perseveres under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The promise is from God's word. And as we see here, the promise which James specifically highlights is the promise of the crown of life. The crown of life. Now the word crown conveys, I suppose to most of us, we have the image of the queen and uh, this headpiece with lots of jewels, lots of diamonds on it, nice and sparkly. But uh, in the ancient world, most people would have thought of a crown as the laurel wreath. The wreath that the athletes, the Greek athletes would have won, the victorious athletes that they would have put on their head if they had won the race. And it seems that James has this imagery in view because it's, he's saying that it's only the trained and disciplined athlete that will be victorious. Therefore, as Christians, James is saying that we need to be trained by God's word and we need to be disciplined by living according to God's word. And by doing that, we'll be given the grace to persevere and to keep going and to keep pressing on towards the finish line. And so what we see here by considering the blessing or blessing and temptation is that James is encouraging us as Christians to endure temptation faithfully so that we might be blessed by receiving what we don't deserve. And that is, what we don't deserve is the crown of life. What we don't deserve is the promised crown of life. And you know, is that not what the writer to the Hebrews said about temptation? Where in Hebrews 11, he went through all these heroes of the faith. And then into chapter 12, it's connected with chapter 12. And he's using the imagery of the athlete. And he says, uh, now that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these heroes of the faith who have run the race before us, he says, we are to lay aside every sin and every weight that doth so easily beset us. And he says, let us run with perseverance the race which is set before us. And what are we to do while we run? Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes upon him. And my friend, it's only by keeping our eyes upon him that we will persevere through trial, persevere through temptation to the end to receive the crown of life which God has promised to us. So we have to keep persevering. But James doesn't leave it there. He's spoken about blessing and temptation. Uh, but secondly, we see that he draws attention to blame and temptation. Blame and temptation. Uh, look at the next verse, verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he, he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so having spoken about the blessing of receiving the crown of life for persevering through temptation, James now draws our attention uh, to who is to blame for temptation. And he says from the outset that we are not to blame God. God is not the author of temptation and he does not tempt anyone. And James stresses this point uh, by repeatedly using the word temptation or tempt four times in one sentence. In verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And the point James makes is interesting because he says that God cannot be tempted. Which means that God cannot deviate or or diverge or, or depart from his plan or purpose. And because God cannot be tempted, he therefore cannot tempt anyone else. Now, some of us will know that the authorised version and what it says about Abraham and the time when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It reads in Genesis 22 at verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did, God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. But of course the translation should read, God tested Abraham. Or God put a trial in Abraham's life. Because James is clear. God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Which means that not every trial is temptation. But every temptation is a trial. Not every trial is temptation. But every temptation is a trial. But, of course, every trial brings with it its own temptations. Because difficult circumstances can tempt us to question God's providence. Sorrowful experiences can tempt us to question God's love for us. Illness and suffering can tempt us to question God's justice and uh, even his care towards us. But what James is wanting us to separate is the outward trial which God brings into our life and the inner temptation which God doesn't bring into our life. The outward trial which God brings into our life but the inward temptation which God doesn't bring into our life. Because what James is saying is that's something we develop. Because there are many accounts in the Bible where God brought trials into the lives of his people, but he didn't bring temptation. Temptation came as a result of the trial. And the greatest example in the Bible is Job. Job lost everything. He lost his wealth, his health, his family, his home. He lost it all. And that was the outward trial which God brought into his life. But the inward temptation came when his wife told him, curse God and die. 
That was the temptation. And what James wants to make clear is that we have, we have to have the right perspective of temptation. That when God brings trials into our lives, he does so in order to strengthen our faith and to bring us on to maturity. That's what we saw in the first section. But he never brings temptation into our lives by provoking us to sin or even trying to destroy our faith. Therefore, God is not to blame. He's not the author of temptation and he's not the author of sin. Now, when we say that God is not the author of temptation, we might immediately conclude, well, it must be Satan who is the author of temptation. After all, he's the father of lies, he's the deceiver, he's, he's the divider. As we read, he tempted Adam and Eve to fall into sin in the Garden of Eden. And as we read in Matthew 4, he tempted Jesus to try and sin in the wilderness. And he still tempts countless millions to follow after other gods and be blinded by the world. Therefore, Satan, he must be the author of temptation. But that's not where James goes with this. Because he says that the root of temptation doesn't begin with God, doesn't begin with Satan, begins with us. It begins with us. That's what he says. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so James says that temptation finds its root in us. He attributes temptation to each person's evil desire. And that word desire, it carries with it the idea of the inward longing for things that God has prohibited. It's the longing for the things which God has said are out of bounds or not helpful to us or hazardous to our Christian growth. And what James is saying is that the desire for the things that are of no benefit to us, it's already there. It's already there. It's not put there by God or Satan. It's already in our heart. It's already there. Evil desires are already in our heart. That's what we're warring against. Because our, our heart, as the Bible says, it's deceitful, above all things, desperately wicked. And as the Bible puts it, who can know it? Which means that, this means that any one of us can fall into temptation. All evil, the evil desire is already there. So any one of us can fall into temptation. None of us are immune. None of us are exempt. None of us are safe. We are all susceptible to temptation because temptation finds its root in the evil desires of our heart. Now, James doesn't say that Satan is the innocent bystander in temptation. Not at all. Because the luring, as he says himself, and the enticing, that's the work of Satan. There's someone else working there, he says. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And Satan's role, or Satan's delight, 
is to lure us and entice us away from the things of God and his word. And he does so by playing on our evil desires. And Satan does that by illuminating and enlarging our desires, whatever they may be. It may, it's probably different for all of us, what these things are. But yet he makes them more and more appealing to us, rather than being faithful to God. And what's helpful is that the language which James uses here is the language of fishing. <coughs> now I had Toshi in mind when I was thinking of this. The fisherman takes the rod and he takes his fishing hook and he carefully places the bait on the hook. And he hides the hook in amongst the bait. So that, the hung, that all, the hungry, all that the hungry fish can see is the bait just dangling before their eyes. And that's what Satan does. He works on our hunger. He works on our inward evil desires that are already there. And he presents to us the bait. And he entices us and lures us into the bait. And just like the fish, when the fish sees the bait, it moves closer and closer to it. And when all seems okay, the fish starts nibbling on the bait. And of course, the fish can't see the hook. But as soon as it bites down onto the hook, then the fish knows it's made a big mistake. Because immediately, the fisherman feels it. And he yanks his rod. And the hook is impaled in the fish. And at that point, there's no way of escape. Because the fish is then dragged home. Dragged out of its, out of its home, out of its habitat. And it becomes Toshi's dinner. And that's the description which James is giving. Because he says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And with this helpful illustration James warns us about the seriousness of falling into temptation. Because Satan, he will glorify sin. He'll make it pretty. He'll entice our evil desires for it. And Satan's greatest desire, especially for the Christian, is for us to fall away. For us to bite the hook. And James says that like fishing, there are steps of temptation. Because when we see the bait, whatever it is, whatever form it comes in, it'll be different for us all. When we see the bait... Our evil desire wants it. Wants it. When it becomes, but when it becomes more than a desire, like the fish nibbling on the bait, we move and act in the interests of our evil desire and we know that it's wrong. That's when we, as, as James says, we conceive and give birth to sin. We're hooked. We don't want to let it go. And it's not going to let go of us. And we know it's wrong. We know it's not right. But as we enjoy that sin. And fulfill the evil desires of our flesh. And of our mind. That sin continues to grow. And develop. And mature. Until like the fish. It's dead. 
brings forth death. And you know, my friend, the most heartbreaking thing to witness is a Christian who has taken the bait and as a result, they have fallen away. That's the most heartbreaking thing. So the question is, how do we avoid taking the bait? Because the bait will always be dangling in front of us. It'll always be there, no matter how long we've been on the road as a Christian. And Satan will use different ways, different means at different times to entice us and lure us to take our eyes off Jesus. To take our eyes off the race. And so how do we combat his attacks on our evil desires? How do we protect ourselves from falling into temptation? How do we stay faithful to the Lord and endure temptation? Well, James wants to tell us in these closing uh, verses, verses 16 to 18. He's told us about blessing and temptation. That if we persevere to the end, we will receive the crown of life. He's told us and explained to us Blame and temptation. That God nor Satan is to blame for temptation. But we are. But what we see lastly is that James draws our attention to the Bible and temptation. The Bible and temptation. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And you know there's something so compassionate in the way in which James writes to these Christians. He knows that they struggle with temptation. And we all struggle with temptation of various kinds and uh, temptations which come in various ways. And yet James says to all of us, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. And that phrase, beloved brothers and sisters, it's uh, repeated again and again throughout his letter. He says it again in, in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. James knows that any struggle in the Christian life, it's not easy to deal with. There's no use condemning people and writing them off. What he's, he's taking the compassionate approach because he knows that what's needed is compassion and understanding and encouragement and forgiveness. But James also says that we're not to be deceived into thinking that it's God who is tempting us into doing evil and making us drift away from him. No, says James, God is the giver, he says. Of every good and every perfect gift to his children. He's the giver of what we need in times of temptation. He's the giver of, of gifts. He's, he's gracious. He, he freely gives unmerited gifts to us. He's like the king who blesses us. With every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And is that not what... Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
And then he asks, are you not of more value than they? And then he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And Jesus drives home the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. And this is the reminder which James gives here. That every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything we receive, he says, whether temporal or spiritual, it all comes down to us from the Father of lights. And the Father of lights is an expression of what happened at the creation. Light spoken to darkness. The God who is light said, let there be light. And because God is light, says James, there is no variation in his light. There's no change, no shadows, no shades or darkness. There's constant light. Constant light. The Apostle John said, God is light. And it's in him that there is no darkness at all. He is the father of lights who spoke this world into being by the word of his power. And James says he hasn't changed. Why? In verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He brought us into being. Not only in the beginning of creation. But literally, James says that we were born again by the word of truth. We were given a new birth and a new beginning by the word of God. As Peter says in his letter, we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's the word that did it. And what James is reminding us is that the God who brought this whole world into being and sustains it each and every day is the same God who gave to us the good and perfect gift of eternal life through the word of truth. And he promises to sustain us through every trial and every temptation so long as we keep our eyes upon Jesus and keep our minds in his word. My friend, the only way God will keep us from falling into temptation is by the same way he saved us. The word of truth. The word of truth. And as we said earlier, Satan will use different ways and different means to entice us and lure us to take our eyes off Jesus. To take our eyes off 
the goal, the finish line. But how do we combat all his attacks of, on our evil desires? How do we protect ourselves from falling into temptation? How do we stay faithful to the Lord and endure temptation? And James says, the word of truth. And it seems so simple. But in reality, we know it's hard. He's saying, the word of truth is what will help you endure. The Bible. That's how Jesus endured temptation in the wilderness. He is the embodiment of Psalm 1. He's the blessed man. He's the sinless man of perfect blessedness. Who never walked astray. Who never stood in the path of sinners or sat in the seat of scorners. But he made the word of truth his delight and his study both day and night. And when Satan came to tempt Jesus three times in the wilderness, three times Jesus defended himself with the word of truth, the word of God. Three times Jesus quoted the Bible to Satan. And that's how we ought to deal with Satan. Quote scripture. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written, you shall serve the Lord your God, and only him shall, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. It is written, it is written, it is written. And then the devil left him. It was then that the devil left him. And it should be no surprise to us then how powerful the word is. And it should be no surprise that when the Apostle Paul urges us in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armour of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against the spiritual wickedness in high places. And Paul says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Have on your feet the gospel of peace. Pick up your shield of faith and wear the helmet of salvation. And have in your hand. The sword of the spirit, he says, which is the word of God. And Paul says, with that word, pray always, being watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray always, being watchful with all perseverance. The amazing thing about the Roman armour which Paul was describing is that there was no armour on the back. You had to keep moving forward. You had to keep pressing on. And that's what we need to do. We're in a fierce battle. But James is reminding us that there is a purpose in, in temptation. The purpose is to persevere. The purpose is to persevere. He's told us about blessing and temptation. That if we persevere to the end. We will receive the crown of life. He's explained to us. Blame and temptation. It's not God or Satan that's to blame. We are. 
But his greatest desire, James's greatest desire, is that we see the need for the Bible in temptation. And that when we are faced with temptation, we cling ever more to the word of truth. The word of truth. Because it's the word of truth and the promises that are found in this word that will spur us on to persevere to the end of the race. So that we will receive the promise. Receive the promised crown of life which God has promised to those, as he says, who love him. Those who love him. And so that word of truth, it's encouraging us again to keep going, to keep looking to Jesus, to keep your eyes fixed upon him because he is the author and he remains the finisher of our faith. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, help us to be like that blessed man or blessed woman. Help us to trust the Lord in everything, to know that when we are faced with trial and temptation, that these things are in our experience for a purpose, that they are not there by some random chance event, but that thou art the God who is working in us both to will and to do, of thine own good pleasure. Thou art the God who has promised that he who hath begun a good work in us will bring it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, in our weakness to keep going, to keep pressing, to keep looking to Jesus. How often, Lord, we are tempted to turn to the left hand or to the right. But we pray that thou wouldest keep our going out and our coming in, that thou wouldest stay our hands that thou wouldest watch over our feet, protect our minds and our hearts. O Lord, we are those who are so susceptible to falling into temptation, but that our prayer would be as, as we have been taught from a young age, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. O Lord, keep us then, we pray thee. Bless us. In our needs this evening, whatever they may be, that thou wouldest undertake for us. Help us to know thy presence in all that we say and do, in all that we go through in our lives, that thou wouldest be with us. Go before us then, we ask, and do us good, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're singing from the beginning, page 3399. <coughs> Psalm 119, singing from verses 1 down to the verse mark 6. And Psalm 119, of course, is a, a psalm all about the Word of God. And the psalmist is talking about those who are blessed because they stick or they cling uh, to the word of God. Blessed are they that undefiled and straight are in the way, who in the Lord's most holy law do walk and do not stray. Blessed are they who to observe his statutes are inclined, and who do seek the living God with their whole heart and mind. Down to the verse, Mark 6 of Psalm 119, to God's praise.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.